Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me on this episode of Gators Breakdown, co-host and founder of ReadAndReaction.com is Will Miles, and you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, we've uh, started... Opponent previews, finally now getting to the first big rivalry game for Dan Mullen in his first season at Florida as the Gators travel all the way up to Rocky Top. Yeah, man, I'm going to be at this one with my brother and my brother-in-law, and uh, it's going to be uh, it could be interesting to see how I'm received repping the logo into, into Knoxville, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it'll be a good time. Hopefully uh, I will probably have to drive my brother-in-law's car to the game because mine has Gator stuff all over it. And, <laughs> And I'd like to be able to drive it back because it's about a nine-hour hike from where I'm at. So, <laughs> so it's it's a one-time pilgrimage, man. It's going to be a good time. Awesome, awesome. Remember, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you will find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, listen on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Will, as I mentioned, first big game for Dan Mullen, rivalry game. Not only that, we know how big it is uh, for you know, to win this game. Florida's done it in a dominating fashion uh, recent years, heartbreaking fashion in recent years. Every which way possible, Florida has won this game and broken Tennessee's heart two of the last three times at the Swamp. You know, fourth quarter, Greer to Callaway, and, of course, the Hail Mary or – deep pass to Cleveland, and then last time to Rocky Top, we had all the trash talk between the, the Florida deep defensive backs, and you know Tennessee finally got off the snide and was able to steal one from Florida last time in, in, in Knoxville. Yeah, well, you know, during SEC media days, Mullen made it a point to to answer a question about the Tennessee rivalry and how important it is. And he had sort of pointed out that it used to be that it was always the third week of the season and it was always the first SEC game. And that's not true this year, obviously, because Florida will be playing Kentucky. But it is the first SEC road game. And in order to win the East, you're going to have to win a couple of games on the road um, in, in the in the conference. And so this is sort of that first step for Florida. Um, you know, they got Tennessee, Mississippi State, and then LSU coming up. and and, and and this is going to be the gauntlet, gauntlet that really decides how successful the, the season will be. Well, we've mentioned 12 of the last 13 Florida has won. It's a, it is the SEC opener. 
mindset, I think, really comes into play here, even though this is not the big national rivalry as what it once was. Both teams are bringing in first-year new head coaches for, for their program. Jeremy Pruitt, who's never even coached a game as a head coach yet. I mean, this game is big in the mindset and maybe even setting the tone for the season when these two teams match up in Knoxville. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Florida's, it's not a coincidence that Florida's run against Tennessee has, uh, has lined up with the Derek Dooley and the uh, Butch Jones eras. And so we'll see whether Pruitt is a step in, in that direction or whether he's more of a step in the Phil former direction. Certainly the early returns on the recruiting share look promising for Pruitt, but we'll see what, uh, you know, we'll see what he can do as a coach. He's done a good job at, at previous stops at Alabama and Florida state. And, you know, so we'll see whether he can have that impact on some of the players because Butch Jones's problem was not bringing in talent. Butch mm -hmm. Jones's problem was having that talent actually produce on the field. And there's no reason that Tennessee should have gone four and eight last year, just like there's no reason Florida should have gone four and seven. So really you've got two, you've got, you've got two teams that are, that underperformed last year significantly for a lot of different reasons. Both had head coaches that were sort of on the way out. Um, there's been a little bit more grumbling. I haven't heard as much negativity around the Bush Jones exit, maybe because he had more than three years, maybe because he didn't make some of the enemies that McElwain did. But I haven't heard people speak negatively of Bush Jones other than his coaching acumen. Um, really, it's it. You know, it seems like Pruitt's sort of a breath of fresh air, but it's not. It's not this massive difference like the Florida players, um, you know, sort of voiced at, at the media days. Yeah, I guess for you know, I guess we're going to that point is it's not like Butch Jones. It, it, when, I'm not going to say he didn't care or, or didn't try. I mean, it, I think that's the the difference there. You know, McElwain, it was a a case of whatever he wanted really really wanted to be at Florida and all that stuff. Butch Jones just. It, it just wasn't working out there, and then it was time to move on. The wheels came off last season, and that was a clear sign that it was time to move on. And they went and got Jeremy Pruitt after that crazy coaching search we all remember and made jokes about. Uh, but in the end, I think they got a pretty good head coach. Uh, you know, given – I mean, time will tell. But given the situation that they were in and given the reputation that Pruitt has in the SEC, you know, they in the end, I think they made a pretty good hire. Yeah, well, we just won't know for, right. for a pretty pretty extended amount of time. I mean, again, Butch Jones came in and immediately started recruiting very, very well. I know Bill sort of indicated on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that that uh, you know that Butch Jones is a model for somebody who's bringing in really, really good recruits, even when he's not performing on the field. And that was really the story of that era. And we'll see what Pruitt can do. I mean, certainly, again, the returns on the recruiting trail have been very positive, but that doesn't that doesn't translate all the time to on the field. It's a prerequisite to winning big. We both believe that, but it doesn't mean you win big. You have to develop the players. Those players have to produce. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see whether whether Pruitt can do that. Um, he certainly has a track record of doing that, but he's also got a track record of doing that under coaches who have been very very successful. So you know, being a coordinator at Alabama kind of means you've got Saban's thumb on you the whole time. And, and you know how does that how does that impact things and, and the same thing under uh, under Jimbo Fisher and so um, you know it 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 could it's it's going to go one of two ways right he's bringing in very good players he's got really good players on the team you know if he can develop them then Tennessee's going to be a threat and if he struggles the same way Jones did then uh, then Florida will keep winning. 
All right, so we mentioned Pruitt coming in as, a, as head coach, and he's bringing in offensive coordinator Tyson Hilton from the USC quarterbacks coach there. Uh, history at Western Kentucky, I believe, uh, for a few years. Uh, knows how to get that passing game going, but you know, this he has his work cut out for him with uh, what what Tennessee has uh, on the quarterback roster there. Uh, tempo, uh, tempo type type of guy, quick throws. Uh, so, you know, not a lot of pressure you're going to be getting to those Tennessee quarterbacks with Chris there, uh, this transfer from Stanford, Keller Chris, and also Jarrett Garantano, who played uh, a good bit last year. Be interesting to see how Pruitt wants to go because, of course, he felt the need to go get a, uh, a transfer quarterback. So was he not happy? Was it more for depth purposes? I think we'll see uh, pretty quickly. Uh, the type of offense Tennessee is going to have, they've opened up with West Virginia. So by the time they get around to Florida, this game's not going to be a surprise uh, of what they're trying to do on offense because that first game against West Virginia is probably going to be a shootout type of game. They're going to have to empty their kitchen sink pretty early uh, if those players have the offense down. Yeah, it's 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 going to be an interesting test case. I mean, it, it, it's sort of an interesting uh, – um, comparison because Mullen, if Florida doesn't offer him the job, Mullen probably ends up as the Tennessee head coach based on everything that we've heard. Um, Certainly. And then Mullen did not bring in a grad transfer this year, presumably because he's confident in his ability to develop people and, and Pruitt brought in a grad transfer um, even though he has a very highly ranked young quarterback in Guarantano on the team. And if you look at Guarantano, he didn't perform terribly last year. I mean, he, you know, he was really nothing in the running game. He averaged 7.2 yards per attempt, which is basically average. Um, Keller Christ over his career has averaged, you know, half a yard less per attempt on about another 150 attempts. So um, based on what we've seen on the field, there's no reason to believe that Christ is all that much better than Guarantano. You're really just sort of looking at their, at their pedigrees coming out and saying, Hey, it's, it's somebody who can, who can compete. The interesting thing is for Christ in high school, um, again, I like looking at completion percentage in high school as an idea of how somebody might translate. He only completed 54.1% of his passes that I could see. And uh, and he completed 60% in his senior year, but really did not complete a high percentage any other year other than that. If you look at Guarantano, he completed 68.8% his senior year in high school and 61% overall. And so if I were the guy making the choice. Guarantano would be the guy just based on the, on the statistical profile that I would start, not Keller Crest, um, you know, just based on just based on that. But again, two very highly ranked players. Um, but I think a lot of times those rankings have more to do with a guy's arm strength than they do with his ability to read defenses. And I think the accuracy for Guarantano in high school indicates that he's probably going to be able to do that at Tennessee. And I mean, we all remember we all remember Dorbity getting getting pressured last year against Florida, throwing the ball up for picks, really changing the game with the pick six to C.J. Henderson. And, you know, so Guarantano was in the exact same situation when he came in those games as he was getting pressured against an offensive line that wasn't necessarily doing a great job. And, uh, you know, so we do need to keep, take that into account. Um, this is a 4-8 team. They knew they were playing for Butch Jones' job. I'm not sure they all wanted to be playing for Butch Jones' job. And, uh, and you know, Guarantano was playing behind them. Yeah, John Kelly, running back last year. I know you and I liked what we saw from him uh, at times, and he lit Florida up in the second half of uh, the Florida-Tennessee game last year. They get uh, Ty Chandler back, who was the second-leading rusher last year. Um, he's a speed guy and got some power as well. I like what I saw from him, but they don't have much behind him. Uh, they got a Michigan State transfer, uh, Madre Landon, who comes in. Uh, might need to play a big role up there with Chandler as well. 
but you know he only 1,400 yards, 3.4 yards to carry uh, at Michigan State. So you look at if they can get some quarterback play, much like Florida, they, they feel pretty good about their receivers as long as somebody can get them the ball. Marquez Callaway, I remember him kind of showing up against uh, Georgia Tech in that first game uh, la- last year, and Jawan Jennings probably looks to to, to return. Look, like he was leaving Tennessee. Now he's going to be coming back uh, there. You, you tie those skill position players into what they have on the offensive line with Trey Smith, who – honestly lives up to the recruiting billing there at, at left tackle. You know, there was some uh, health rumors going around a couple months ago, whether if he was even going to play this year or not. Uh, it looks like he's okay there, but you know, six, six, 320 pound, a uh, true freshman who started every game last year and was the best offensive lineman they had as a true freshman. So they need something besides him to show up on the offensive line and they, they get, they get the quarterback situation figured out. They get the offensive line situation figured out. Hey, does that sound familiar? <laughs> they, 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 their skill guys, I think, can take that next step because of they're they're just waiting on those two pieces of the offense to to find themselves. Yeah, the difference is, is that their skill guys have actually shown something on the field pretty significant. And I think, you know, when we talk about Van Jefferson, he's certainly shown something for Florida. But Trayvon Grimes and, and some of the other guys have have maybe shown flashes or maybe even haven't had an opportunity to show flashes in high school or in, in college. And all we're really looking at is their high school production and saying, hey, this guy should be good. Um, when you look at even when you look at Ty Chandler, the running back taken over for Kelly, he averaged more yards per rush last year. Granted, that was in half the carries, but he averaged 4.3 yards per rush to four. 4.1 for Kelly. So, you know, I mentioned the offensive line earlier. Some of, I think, those those uh, yardages are based on the offensive line. Part of it is, is, you know, John Kelly was not the most explosive player coming out of the backfield as a running back. And I think the same thing can be said for Ty Chandler. One thing I would say is that last year, Kelly did not necessarily kill Florida running the ball. He killed mm-hmm. them catching the ball. So he had 37 receptions for 299 yards last year. So an 8.1 yard per re- reception average. And I swear 36 of those 37 were against Florida last year. <laughs> at least that's what it felt like when I was watching that game. Cause I was at that one last year too. And, uh, you know, that, that was, it just felt like Kelly got the ball every time there was a third in anything. And Chandler has 10 reception, had 10 receptions for 108 yards last year. So almost 11 yards of reception. So really this, I think is the, is the first real challenge for Todd Grantham in the defense is last year, Randy Shannon didn't have an answer when Tennessee started picking on the linebackers for Florida, just didn't have any kind of answer at all in that fourth quarter. And, and some of it was the offense wasn't doing a very good job of keeping the defense off the field, but part of it was Tennessee found something in that fourth quarter. And so the question is, will Grantham be able to make the adjustments? Will he be able to protect his his linebackers? Will his 3-4 system enable somebody like CeCe Jefferson to take the place of one of those linebackers who was on the field last year and instead of instead of isolating them on the running back, being able to have somebody out on the outside sort of in that I guess you call it a buck or star position who's able to who's able to take the running back out of the uh, out of the game and and we'll see because I you know you you can talk about you can talk about Callaway you can talk about Jennings you can talk about Brandon Brandon Johnson but at the end of the day the thing that killed Florida last year was not the wide receivers it was a running back and that's who I think Grantham's going to have to stop. Yeah, you go back and look at that game last year even you know Tennessee also they threw a pick in the end zone as well so they didn't have a lot of. Uh, issues moving the ball uh, at Florida, especially in the second half of that game. But you go and look at the rest of the season, last in the SEC, you know it was bad for Florida. It was even worse for Tennessee it going by some parameters. They were last in the SEC in scoring, dead last there, 124th in the nation in total offense. Uh, the offense you know, only managed 
more than 24 points just once over the last 10 games of the season. Will, I mean, we, we, I mean, we know it was ugly in Gainesville, and it was, but it was just as ugly up in Knoxville. Uh, well, they earned their record, man. So <laughs> they were 0-8 they were in the SEC. Um, they should have won one game based on their point differential, and quite honestly, it should have been the game against Florida. <laughs> but, but they only scored 113 points in SEC, in SEC play, and they gave up tw- 278. So, you know, they, they feasted on the four teams that they played outside of conference play, and, and those were not, uh, those were not mo- for the most part, high-level opponents. Um, you know, it, I think it really goes back to offensive line play for Tennessee. And that's a place where really there are some question marks. So they have Jerome Carvin, who's probably going to start at right guard. They've got Carone Colbert, who's going to start at left guard most likely. So their two guards are going to be true freshmen. And then you got Ryan Johnson, who's a sophomore at, at center. And then you already mentioned Trey Smith at left tackle. And then Drew Richmond at right tackle, both very, very highly rated recruits, um, both pretty good players. So they've got really good players at tackle, but the guards – are pretty much new. And so you don't, you don't know what those guys are going to do and, and we'll see. I mean, if, if, uh, if Pruitt can get those guys to play just average, I think the Tennessee offense improves considerably um, just because a little bit of a push up front would make a big difference for Chandler. Now, Will, if we move to the other side of the ball, much like when Florida hired Dan Mullen, it was okay. It's to fix the offense. He's going to make the offense better. And, you know, how long will it take? But you do expect some instant improvement in year one. I think that's the same way Tennessee is looking at bringing Jeremy Pruitt in on defense. It's 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 eventually get us to the elite, but it's also year one. That's we, we need to take that step up and expect to take that step up in year one by hiring a guy with the acumen of Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, well, I mean, this is where he's going to earn his money because um, Tennessee's defense has been bad for a really, really long time, and it's not because they haven't had the horses. At least, not you know, you can you can quibble maybe about maybe about uh, evaluations, but at the end of the day, the three guys on their defensive line, um, Kyle Phillips is a five-star senior, so ninety-eight point four was his twenty-four-seven rating. Shy Tuttle is a senior, four-star, highly rated, 97.5. And then Jonathan Kongbo is a senior as well, four-star, 95.8. So that defensive line, based on their reputations coming out of high school, is loaded. But when you look at the actual production, so Kongbo had 29 tackles last year with two and a half tackles for loss. You look at uh, Shai Tuttle had 27 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss. Um, you know, And then you look at Kyle Phillips, and oh, where is he? I can't find him here. But Oh, he had 33 tackles with four and a half tackles for loss. So really, you're looking at you're looking at like nine tackles for loss on these guys who are high, high, high level mm-hmm. recruits, and they were juniors last year. Um, so the fact that they're back as seniors, you would think is great for Tennessee. But the reason they're back as seniors is because they weren't good enough to make it to the NFL last year, or, or at least be high level draft picks. And so, um, you know, if Pruitt can harness the talent of those guys, the defense can improve really, really quickly. Um, but if if it just turns out that those were evaluations that were poor by Butch Jones and by the recruiting services, then obviously that'll that'll play a role. But uh, but you know, and and it, it trails off significantly as you go to the linebackers. The linebackers are significantly less talented than the defensive line. The DBs are about as talented as the linebackers. So um, really, when you're looking at the talent profile, the one place where Tennessee probably has an advantage over Florida is that defensive line, and uh, that to me is going to be the key to this game. Is can Florida's offensive line block and knock back? Tennessee's defensive line. If they can, I think Tennessee's going to have a hard time. Yeah, much like Mullen, we we talked about the comparisons for both sides of the ball there. 
they're going to install that much like Mullen wants to get tougher up front and you know the weight room and the, the mindset that we talk about that probably is going to be bringing that type of more pressure in the backfield and 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 getting tough in the trenches and especially on the defensive side of the ball, it'll be interesting to see how you mentioned all the names there of how he's going to tinker because you know those guys were used to a different system. Uh, and now you got to go get, you know, maybe some hybrid types to, to fill that defensive end or, and, or, or to the outside uh, pass rush uh, type of players there. And uh, he'll have his work cut out for him, as you mentioned, uh, but Pruitt is the guy where reputation speaks for itself. And, but, Here's the thing. You look at their pass defense. They were ranked third in the nation, Will, but you could probably go back and look at that because a lot of teams were probably running the ball a good bit on them, so that kind of helped the statistic there. Uh, but they do have some guys back there, Nigel Warrior, uh, who I, I really like uh, from, from what I've seen, and that linebacker, uh, Daniel Batuli, who really showed flashes last year. They, they have some veteran guys there, but you are expecting to you just for, for, for their sake – Hope they just finally live up to that billing, much like you said. Yeah, so they were 88th in yards per play last year, gave up 5.9. That's just not going to get the job done from a defensive perspective, and you would expect them to get better than that. And quite honestly, there's going to be regression to the mean for both Tennessee and Florida. Tennessee wasn't as bad as they showed last year, um, and, and neither was Florida. And so the question is really going to be to me is which coach – does a better job of, of bringing them back. So if you look at Tennessee, they get 7.1 yards per attempt through the air. Florida gave up around eight, so much, much worse than Tennessee through the air. But obviously, Tennessee struggled on the ground. So, um, you know, yeah, it, it's a question of um, – it really is a coaching battle at this point. And then, and then it's Florida's first true test on the road. And you look at Frank's, he had a little bit of experience on the road last year, but none of those games went well. And then Trask hasn't played a game since high school or Emory Jones is a true freshman. So, you know, which one of those guys does Dan Mullen trust to bring into Knoxville and run his offense the way he wants to run it. And same thing with the offensive line. Who does he trust to be able to not get false starts, to not jump early, to not allow the defensive in the corner to to cause a big turnover. Those are all questions that Mullen's going to have to answer during fall camp because as of right now, um, you know, you're probably giving up three or four points just because you're on the road with such a, with a team like Florida where you don't have an established quarterback. And quite honestly, the running back that they're going to run out there, Jordan Scarlett in the past has shown some issues with pass protection and showed some issues with pass protection in that Tennessee game a couple of years ago. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how Mullen plays that. Yeah, and the player you know, I, I picked out there, Nigel Warrior. I, mean, I think the reason I'm kind of interested in see how he plays is the safety, but he led, he was second to team last year, 83 tackles, three, four fumbles, and a pick. So he's shown that playmaker ability uh, there. He's a good tackler, uh, a lot of instincts there, as you can tell by those numbers. So I'm interested in seeing how big of a role they give him in his third season uh, as a junior there to see if he can continue to that upper upper trend uh, of what you see there. But going back to that rush defense and why in you know, Nigel Warrior getting so many tackles, probably because Tennessee's given up that front seven's given up so many yards that they were they were getting to Nigel Warrior before anybody else is even touching them. So the safety getting some tackles there, uh kind of helping his stats because that front seven couldn't do much. But um, well, that's that's not just true for Warrior. So Warrior had 83 tackles. Yeah. Mike Abernathy, the free safety, had 81 tackles, <laughs> and those were the second and third leading tacklers on Tennessee's team. Yeah. And 
not a lot of tackles for loss from those two guys. So four and a half tackles for loss and one sack. So it's not as if they were bringing them on blitzes all the time. Right. So, um, you know, yeah, that's indicative that your defensive line isn't getting the push that you need if your safeties are your leading tacklers on the team. And then Daniel Batuli, um, one of the line, the middle linebacker, was first with 90. So yeah. um, the middle linebacker and the two safeties, if they're making all your tackles, that's that's the recipe for a four and eight season. Yeah, uh, they, they gave up 200 yards or more rushing in six of the at six of the last eight games. 194 mm-hmm. to South Carolina. Oh man, <laughs> that's um, it's not as if South Carolina is an offensive juggernaut either. I mean, they were uh, there, there's a reason why Kurt Roper isn't there anymore. So uh, yeah, it's <laughs> and Tennessee. So I think I said they averaged seven point one yards per attempt through the air. They averaged five point six yards per attempt given up on the ground, which was one hundred and twenty second last year. So. Um, yeah, bad. Here really, it is. Really bad. And that's, you know, the, it's not a surprise that's what the number is, considering that the uh, safeties are making all the tackles. <laughs> um, what maybe, what maybe this should teach us is that uh, this maybe isn't the bellwether game for Florida to know how their season's going to go. Certainly, if Florida can win this one and win this one convincingly on the road, and if the quarterback can play well, that's a really good sign. But we won't really know what they have until they've gone through Mississippi State and LSU. Right. Now, the, the next couple of games. Uh, we come up with a preview, uh, but we'll just speaking right here. I mean, dude, Florida has to win in the trenches here because um, that's I mean what we're seeing. Right? And another side I'm fixing to throw. This is where Tennessee's vulnerable. If you want to just base it off what we saw last year, last year opponents ran for three thousand fifteen yards on Tennessee. Tennessee only ran for fourteen hundred nine yards. <laughs> Oh man! Well, and it doesn't look like they are going to have. I mean, you know, when you look at the guys on their on their offense, I mean, Ty Chandler's a very good player, but he's not somebody that you'd necessarily think is explosive. There's been a lot of talk about Florida's running backs with Malik Davis and mm-hmm. Michael Pirine and Jordan Davis, Scarlett. Davis had, you know, Davis had the big run against Tennessee last year before you know fumbled right there at the goal line. Yeah, well, and and so you know, last year I think people remember that, that the game was close and that, that it required the Franks bomb at the end and that there was the drop by Kelly in the end zone that probably cost Tennessee the game. But but if Davis hits that one, it's like 30 to 10 or something, and, and it's it's not even close. So, um, you know, that game could have gone either direction, and certainly it was sort of a comedy of errors. The one thing I will say is this is the first time Florida is playing a team that actually has equivalent talent. So yeah. over, the, over the last four years, if you look at the recruiting class rankings, they've both been around 14. Um, you know, one's like 14.5 and one's 14.7. Tennessee's starting 22, at least according to what's projected in Phil Steele's, um, Phil Steele's magazine, has an average 24-7 ranking of 92.7, and Florida's at 91.3. Yeah. And so, you know, these are, these are teams with equivalent talent. And so the question is, can the coaches get – you know, can Dan Mullen get more out of his talent than Jeremy Pruitt can get out of his or vice versa? This is one where you can look at it and say, you know, this is going to be on the coaches in terms of who's the better coach, at least initially, because and and that should lean towards Mullen, right? I mean, Mullen has nine years of experience. We don't know how Pruitt is. Mullen has played very, very well against teams that are not stacked like Alabama or LSU when he was at Mississippi State. This is a team that has equivalent talent, and so you would expect it to be a 50-50 game. Um, it's on the road in Tennessee, which probably skews it a little bit more, and so Mullen's going to have to going to have to generate some magic and some creativity to get the job done most likely and well more importantly what this does is this this game here it, it, it could set you up for four and oh going into teams 
that it's going to be a, a tough little stretch here when you play at Mississippi State and then you come back and host LSU. Mississippi State picked to be one of the SEC's best teams this year. LSU, we know, I mean, the history of that game just speaks for itself uh, there. So this is a chance for Florida to start 4-0 with, you know, pretty much the teeth of your schedule coming up. So I think a 4-0 start, you know, when we look at the, the win total for Florida where fans – Mostly eight, nine wins. That's where the, the fans want. The, if you want to just sit and go pure, purely by win totals, eight, nine wins is where a lot of fans are looking. It's imperative to start 4-0, I think, if you want to get to that point. Yeah, you know, we'll see. I, I, again, I think this is a team that's got equivalent talent. I think when you start looking at some of the teams where people look at you know, we're going to talk about in some of these previews coming up where Florida has more talent than some of these teams where I think people think Florida might stumble. Um, and, and so this one I don't think is make or break, but I do think it's reflective of, of the coaching ability of Mullen versus Pruitt. And so if Florida were to get absolutely waxed, I think that says something probably about this rivalry um, going forward. If, if it's a close game and Florida loses on a last second field goal or something like that, and there's been tangible progress on the offense and tangible progress at the quarterback position, I don't think it's like doom for Florida for this season or moving forward. But if Florida scores ten points and you know it's forty-four to ten and they look listless and you know all sorts of that stuff, then certainly that's a harbinger of things to come as 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 things move forward. But uh, you know that's not what I'm anticipating. I'm anticipating this one's going to be pretty close um, based based on what I've seen thus far. And obviously, we'll have three three games a game tape for each team to look at by the time this game's actually coming forward. And, and like you said, that game against West Virginia for Tennessee, I think, is going to tell us it's going to lay all their cards on the table. And that'll be an interesting component because Mullen may not be forced to put all of his cards on the mm -hmm. table before they come into this game. He may have some stuff for Emory Jones. We talked, we've talked previously about the four year or the four game red shirt, um, ruled. Now, certainly you probably don't want to get Emory Jones's first snap <laughs> in Neyland stadium, but you can do some things with him. If he's not the starter in this case, you know, Hey, this is one of those games we're going to use him for because we think it's necessary to win. And, and you got some tricks up your sleeve that maybe uh, Tennessee wouldn't be prepared for. Oh, well, this, this is the game, you know, I think when, when, when it was all said and done, you know, I, I do think it's a game we might can point to, when the season's all said and done, just to kind of see where it plays out and, and where, cause in a way that's what Florida, Tennessee just kind of stands for. And you go back in last year and but pretty much the highlight of last year was the Hail Mary versus Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, you're two games back. If you lose to Tennessee, yeah. Mullen made this point at SEC media days that if you lose you're two games back, cause they essentially have the tiebreaker once they've beaten you. Um, and, and so it's a big game. It's a big early game in the SEC East. I don't think any of us necessarily anticipate that Georgia is going to be easy. And so you need to rack up those wins so that if a team like Georgia stumbles, you have the ability to maybe skirt in front of them and 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 you know move towards the goal of winning the East and potentially winning the SEC. But uh, you know, I I am always going to point to the LSU game as mm -hmm. the one that's critical in terms of sort of the hinge point for the season. So you know, if they were to lose this game, lose the game to Mississippi State, you're three and two going into that game against LSU. You win that game and you're four and two. That's still, I think. You know, you can still turn it into a seven or an eight win season, even with things going that way. Now, if you if you um, 
you know, if you win this one and you're 4-0, obviously I think that sort of allows you to slip up um, sort of later in the season where maybe you wouldn't anticipate it happening. But, uh, you know, every SEC game is important. I'm going to this one <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for various reasons, but that's one of the reasons is I think this is the first true test for Mullen, and it'll be really interesting to see um, what he's got up his sleeve and how he compares to Pruitt. Yeah, I think I'd like the confidence in a 4-0 team heading to Mississippi State. <laughs> you know, taking it all uh, in consideration, you're one. You're trying to turn this thing around. You're 4-0 going into to, to Starkville. As you know, I think uh, I think fans and, and the players alike, and maybe even Mullen himself, can can look at a, a pretty good 4-0 start. We won't really know how good Tennessee is yet, but we just know, uh, you know, e- e- even though Tennessee hasn't been what they have been in you know, in the 90s or whatever, you get this, it's still kind of a, a feel-good game about where you're heading. Yeah, I think the 4-0 start really gets the fan base riled up. I know yeah. there's been a lot of talk about um, – you know, the recruits and, and, and getting them excited and, and the fast start, I don't have any doubt gets, gets you a second look. The question is, does it help you close? And, you know, but it'll also get you a second look in 2020 because Tennessee and Florida are going to be going after a lot of the same guys for, for the 2020 class, being able to, being able to point to a game next off season and say, Hey, we whipped Tennessee. Why would you want to go there? Come here. We're building something special. That's going to help you. And so anytime you've got a rivalry game, it's important. Urban Meyer knew that. He put all mm-hmm. sorts of emphasis on the games against Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida State. And even in the years when Florida was struggling, those were the games they seemed to be able to pull out. And I do think that over the long haul, that has an impact on recruiting and has an impact on the ability to turn those rivalry wins into into championship teams. Absolutely there. So, Will, this was a Tennessee part of our preseason opponent preview of course, Mississippi State, LSU coming up next. Uh, there, the next those two games. So be on the lookout for those uh, in the in the coming days. Uh, you can find Will on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his work at ReadAndReaction.com. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave_SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode. Of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>